as they are uh, heading out, before we begin our sermon today, I just want to um, talk to you about our Christmas Eve offering. Uh, each year for the past several years, we have received an offering on Christmas Eve for a special designated um, ministry or program. We've helped to um, construct churches. We've given to Heifer International. We've done Brethren Disaster Ministries. We've done different things. And so this year, we are going to join what is called the Revolution Campaign, which is um, building a clinic and outfitting a clinic for Solid Rock International, which is in the Dominican, a ministry that, uh, that serves in the Dominican Republic. So, let me get the, uh, there it is. There's an artist rendering of what the clinic is, uh, is going to look like. Um, several of us, when we were there in 2015, it was just a flat bit of dirt. They had just graded the dirt. And so now it's, uh, it's the shell is done and they are outfitting it. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to raise $4,000 on Christmas Eve for an operating table, which when I first saw that number, I thought, wow, that sounds like a lot of money for an operating table. But if you Google it, you can buy operating tables in the United States for anywhere between twenty-five dollars and $100,000. So $4,000 is a good deal. So we're looking to help outfit the, the clinic. And we have a video from Jason and Nicole Hoover. They are missionaries Merry to Solid Rock. From San Juan de la Manguana, Dominican Republic. We are standing in the Revolution Project Clinic that is being provided and donated by Solid Rock International and our Dominican partner, Asepsis. We are so grateful that Buffalo Valley has decided to take up an offering to support this clinic. We are looking forward to see how this clinic will serve the region of the San Juan area. We know that it will provide a new standard of care for this region. Merry Christmas, everybody. And there was no snow in the background there. There was just dust if you saw it, what was going on. So, so that's our goal. So if you would pray and consider helping out in that either this Christmas Eve or if you're not going to be here Christmas Eve but you'd like to help, we will be receiving. We won't be talking about it on Sunday the 29th, but if you'd like to, you can designate money for that. Or you can do it online as well. And we're hopeful to, um, to be able to purchase that operating table for them. And if you've ever, those of us that have been there to San Juan or maybe you've been in a country similar to that, you know, medical care is really not that accessible. Um, you have to maybe drive several hours just for what we would consider to be a very simple procedure. And so this clinic will be open to, um, to all the folks there in the area that's really, really needed. And also this clinic also then shares the gospel with people that, uh, that they minister to. So, so we're going to continue then in our series called Christmas Peace. So let me just do a bit of review what we've looked at over these last few weeks. So we looked at the letter P, and that started with, um, the letter P starts with the word pray, or begins the word praise. So we talked about how praise is important to, to peace. Then we looked at expectation. Then uh, last week, uh, Eric talked about acceptance. And then this week, I know Danita talked about commitment, but I decided to go in a slightly different direction because for me, C in peace, Christmas, is all about cookies. So um, let's just uh, make sure we eat as many cookies as we possibly can. That will bring you Christmas peace, and we can pray and go home. So... No, we're not going to do that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, eat, I eat probably three or four times as many cookies during the, like this 10-day stretch than I eat over the entire year added up, right? Like, it's sort of like that mall phenomenon. I was in the, the, the what's the one in Shemokinan, what's it called? The Susquehanna Valley Mall. I was in there last, uh, last night, and I saw more people in the mall that night 
than I think I've seen in five years of going to the mall for movies and different things like that. Just you know, all kinds of people in there. And so I, I'm sort of that way with cookies as it relates to, uh, to this year. So these, these are my favorites right here. These, these ones with the Hershey Kisses in the middle, the peanut butter. All right, that's, that's amazing. Now, I'm not doing that because I want you to make them for me. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. I have plenty of cookies, and I noticed there's some other things up on my office desk even today, but, but those are the bomb when they come right out of the oven. Just shovel those things right, right on in. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about contentment, and then Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about eternal, excuse me, commitment, and then Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about eternal, eternal hope. So before I get to the Christmas story, I want you to think about this next sentence. When we are committed to Jesus, we will experience peace. I really believe that. I really believe that peace is available to us any time, any age, any circumstances, any situations. Prophet Isaiah writes in chapter 26, verse 3, You, referring to God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Right? And that's the way we're thinking about this idea of commitment as it relates to peace. When we are committed to the person and work of Jesus Christ, when we are committed to what God is doing, even if it's different than what we want him to do, I believe that we have peace. I believe that peace is available to us in every situation and every circumstance of life. The Bible says that one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. So the Holy Spirit is able to give us, he actually is the peace in our lives, no matter what the season, no matter what the time, no matter what the circumstances. And I so long for you to experience that peace if you don't experience it today. I so long for you to be able to trust in a God who is able to keep your mind in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on Him. That you can receive the promise of Philippians 4, 6, and 7 that says, Don't worry, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to live in the truth and the power of that. So when we're committed to Christ, we will experience peace. But we think about this idea of of experiencing peace and as it's related to, to commitment. And the next slide I think is also true, and that is that our commitment must be in someone worthy of that commitment. Not everybody that we simply place commitment in gives us peace. Right? We all have folks uh, that we know, and, and don't look at them right now if this person fits this category, but we have people that we know that, 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 make a, that say they're going to do something or they're going to be somewhere, but we just don't have a lot of peace with that. We don't have a lot of peace to, that, to what they say because in the past, that track record hasn't been all that good, right? They've done things that, that they didn't do things that they said they were going to do. There were many people probably who had peace with their money being in the control of Bernie Madoff many years ago, but he wasn't worthy of that commitment, and all that money was gone, or most of that money was gone. So God is someone that we can place our trust in, that we can place our commitment in, that we can receive peace from, even when things don't go the way we want them to go, even when circumstances and situations don't work out the way that we want. So maybe that's where you're at right now. You know, this has been a difficult season of life for you. It's been a difficult time, and you're wondering, can God really provide peace? Yes, yes, he can even in the midst of what, we're, of what that. And so we're going to see that in the Christmas story um, today. So, so in the Christmas story, we have this beginning in Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 30 through 33. So I think most of us are familiar with how the angel comes to Mary and gives her the following pronouncement. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I mean, there's, these, these are the words. This is the pronouncement that the angel gives to Mary as the angel is unfolding for Mary for the first time, this whole concept of a virgin birth in the narrative. And Mary goes on, because she had an A in biology, she goes on and says to the angel, well, I don't really understand how that's going to happen since I don't know a man. And so the angel then responds to her with these words, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, what I want you to consider this morning is that that's all she's got. That's all she has. Now, you might say, well, she has words of an angel. If I had that, I, ah, maybe, maybe not. That's all she has. And then we read a few weeks ago, uh, in the first week, when we talked about praise, we read what her words are after that, which are recorded in the rest of Luke chapter 1. And she says, okay, I'm in. Let it be according to your maidservant. Let it be according to your what? Your word. Right? So these are the words she gets. And these words inspire in her a commitment to be available, to follow what God's plan is for her. And I think gives her incredible peace even in the midst of a very trying and difficult situation and circumstance. And so that for me illustrates the following sentence, and that is that commitment can originate from meaningful words. Words can inspire commitment in us. Words can inspire us to trust. Think about, um, there are sports analogies where we read about a, a, a coach or a captain of a team or somebody who tried to fire up the rest of the team with words and to get them to go and do the thing. And so they jump in there and they do it. We see this sometimes in, in military history or we can see it in other, in other ways that when people say certain words to us, it just moves us to action. It moves us to want to follow that individual or to do what that individual wants us to do or what that group wants us to do. So words are very powerful, and commitment can come out of meaningful words. And I think that as we read the scriptures, that the words of Jesus are intended to, to inspire commitment to us. Right? When we read words like, love your neighbor as yourself, those are not just for information, right? They're intended to have us to do it. We're intended to read those words and say, yes, I want to be committed to loving my neighbor as myself. When we read, go into all the world and preach the gospel, those words are intended to produce in us a desire and a commitment to go out there and preach the, the gospel, to go out there and share the gospel, to go out and make disciples. All the other kinds of words we can think about are intended to move us to commitment. Do the words of Jesus inspire you? Do the words of the New Testament especially, but also the Old, do they inspire you to, to make decisions and inspire you to think? One of, the, one of the phrases from the Old Testament that comes to my mind often is in Genesis 50 after the whole ordeal with Joseph and his brothers, and he's, Joseph is standing there before his brothers. His brothers are concerned that now that their father's died, he's going to kill him. And he says, you know, don't worry. You intended it for evil, but God it for good. Those words inspire me. Those words are meant to help us, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of those who mean something for evil, to know that God has another plan in the middle of that, right? So the words of Jesus are intended to inspire commitment in us. However, at times, it doesn't appear that words are enough, right? At times, the words are not necessarily enough, okay? Think about the disciples. Think about the disciples. They spent three years with Jesus, 
listening to his teaching, hearing his words. We have a couple of different instances in the Gospels where it says that Jesus taught with authority, um, not as the scribes. People said they were astonished at his teaching. Nobody's ever taught us like this before. So they have all of these words, and they have this level of commitment. They're following him. They gave up their day jobs to go and follow him, turn their life upside down. But then he dies. And even though he had told them that he would die and that he would be resurrected in three days, he told them, and it's recorded for us three times in the Gospel of Matthew, it's not enough. They run away. They flee. Even though Jesus told Peter that Peter would deny him, Peter said, no, I won't. He did it anyway. So like sometimes the words are not necessarily enough. Sometimes we need something else in that story, in that picture. And that's where I think we begin to see this in Mary's life. Because I think the next slide says that greater commitment often grows out of words and actions. We have phrases like, you know, don't only, don't only talk the talk, but walk the walk. This idea that, that what we say matches what we do. And I want you to think about those disciples for a minute as we spin the Christmas story ahead 30 33 years. What happened after they saw the resurrected Christ? Everything changed. Their commitment, if I would, and I think their level of peace, went to a whole different level, didn't it? Peter, that very same man who was denying even knowing Jesus in front of a servant girl around a fire, stood up in front of a large crowd and said, you killed him. You killed him. And he's the Messiah. And you need to believe. You need to repent. What changed? He saw him. The, the words of Jesus predicting his death, burial, and resurrection were powerful, but they weren't enough. But when they actually saw that he pulled it off, when they actually saw the actions, what happened? They changed. Their commitment rose to a whole different level. I mean, they were committed before, but now they saw the actions. And the words and the actions together inspired a commitment in their lives. And I believe that this same dynamic is intended to work in our lives today. So we're to look at the words and the actions of Jesus. And that's to bring about commitment in our lives, which ultimately helps with peace. But there's more. God wants to actually do stuff in your life that helps you stay committed or increases your level of commitment to him. Right? It's not just the words on the page. It's the activity that begins to strengthen the commitment that you have as you look back and as you remember and as you get involved with what it is that God is doing in your life. I just wanted to share a quick story from our time in New York. Uh, before uh, we went to New York, we were young adults, Janet and I, 23, 24, and um, had never really heard much about this idea of giving you know, to the church before, and then we began to hear sermons about it, and began to read the Bible about it. We began to think, you know what, we really, we really think this is something that we ought to do. Those, those words inspired some desire in us, a level of commitment, and so we began to give at least 10% of our money to the church, based solely pretty much on the words of other people telling us that that was something that we should do, and feeling that that was something God wanted us to do. And there were a couple of lean years there where, where it was kind of difficult to do that, but we continued to do that. And then in 1994, we moved to New York to, to plant a church. And I've told this story before, but 
when we went there, we had six months of support from some people and 12 months of support from other people. Not nearly enough that we thought we needed to, to live on, but we were just going to go anyway and do it. And you know what God did? Now, I'm committed to the words, all right? I get that, and I'm, I'm, I'm committed to the words, and I'm giving a commitment to the words. But the coolest thing happened. Like, this is all pre-internet, pre-email, and everything like that. So almost, not a daily basis, but pretty much a, almost a weekly basis, I would go to the mailbox. I used to love going to the mailbox. I would go to the mailbox, and I w- we would get a card from somebody, and they would say things like, um, I don't know if you can use this $100, but God just sort of laid, laid you on our heart, so here, hopefully you can use this. And so we would, you know, I would put that right into the offering of the church, and, you know, I took a I didn't keep the money for myself or anything, but it paid all the bills. It paid all of our bills. It paid the church's bills. It paid our salary. And, and routinely, that kind of thing would happen. And I remember particularly this one particular woman who um, we had worked with in Virginia, and the church had helped her out financially frequently over the course of the two or three years that I had worked there. And um, she was a single mom, and she was just really trying to make it work. And she was a wonderful lady, but she just couldn't, couldn't often make the bills balance. And so the church would help her out a lot. And one day I went to the, to the mailbox and got a card from her. I opened it up, and there was a check in there for $500. And I couldn't believe it. I, looked, I remember looking at the check like for 10 seconds, counting the zeros. One, two, three, yep, dot, zero, zero. It's $500. And then the note was like, hey, God sort of unexpectedly blessed us with some money, and I just wondered maybe if you could use this. And you know what happened to me? My commitment around the idea of God being able to provide for me financially was cemented. Cemented. I, I don't doubt that anymore. I have incredible peace about the ability of God to take care of me financially because I've watched him do it in my life. The words were there, but the actions cemented what God was doing. And I want you to experience that same thing in all these different areas of your life. See, the Bible tells us that we need to forgive. I mean, over and over and over again. We are commanded to forgive. And I hope there's a commitment in your life based on the words of Jesus or the words of the New Testament about how important it is to forgive. But you know when that really gets cemented is when you actually go out and do it and you experience forgiveness and you experience the peace that comes from that and then you're in. Because the words and the actions work together to produce a greater commitment which leads to a greater peace to forgive the next time it happens. Now, I'm about to do something that when I do this, I like to let you know, I'm going to read a little bit into the Christmas story. Right? I'm going to read a little bit of something that's not necessarily spelled out specifically for us. But I wonder about Mary. I wonder about Mary a lot. I, I can't imagine what it's like to raise a perfect child. Now, some of you are thinking, well, just ask my mom and dad. <laughs> you, not me. But think about what that was like to raise a child who never sinned. Raise a child who never lied. Raise a child who was never selfish. Raise a child who was always loving. And again, I don't think that Jesus had a halo around him as a child. I don't think he did 
little miracles growing up, you know, to kind of, you know, the, the oatmeal's gone, Mary looks away, and poof, she looks back, and there's oatmeal in the bowl. I don't think any of that happened. But I believe that she watched the actions of Jesus. She has the words, right? Hey, the angel's coming. The angel says, hey, you're going you're gonna to give this son. Joseph has some words. He gets a visitation from an angel as well. They understand this concept of Savior, at least to some point they understand what's going on. But as far as we know, we don't have any other angelic interactions with them, like when Jesus was three or four or seven or eight. We don't, we don't have that. Now, maybe some of that stuff happened. I don't know. But we don't have anything written down. But I wonder how Mary's commitment to her role in this changed as she watched the actions of Jesus, as she watched how he lived his life. We have one particular snapshot that happens when Jesus is 12, right? They go to the temple, Mary and Joseph, they go to the temple with the whole family, and then they leave him there, all right? By accident, they leave him. And they go back and they get him. And he was there, what? He was teaching. He was listening. He was astonishing the people. And the Bible says this in Luke chapter 2. I think this is really interesting. It says, then he went down with them. That's, of course, Jesus. He, he returns to, with Mary and Joseph. And he came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Some translations say she pondered these things in her heart. I wonder what's going on there. What does that mean? Well, I, if I could just take a little bit of liberty, maybe. I think what's happening is the words that she has, excuse me, the words that she received from the angel, which I'm quite sure she never forgot, are being mixed in now with actions. And that's growing her commitment to who this man is. And then, you fast forward to John chapter 2, the first recorded miracle of Jesus. And if you're not familiar with the story, they all seem to be at this wedding. And at the wedding, they run out of wine. Never a good idea to run out of wine. And so they run out of wine. And so they let Mary know that they've run out of wine. And we read this in verse 4. Jesus tells, excuse me, Mary tells Jesus that, hey, you know, they're out of wine. Now, we don't know exactly what the motivation was, but she, she tells him that. And Jesus says this, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I don't know about you, but I really wish that we had video of, of this interaction. But I don't think Jesus said those words harshly. I don't think he said, woman. You know, which is not necessarily a, a term that we would use of endearment or intimacy, but it wasn't necessarily a negative term to use back in that day. What does your concern have to do with me? So Jesus is about 30 years old now, right? So he's a man now. And so, so I believe, and again, I'm, I'm guessing here, but I believe he said that with a twinkle in his eye. I believe he said that with a little smirk on his face. Because he knows what's about to happen. She doesn't really know what's about to unfold, but he does. So could, we, could he have said, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Maybe with a little wink. And then what does she say? She says, whatever he says to you to do, just do it. Whatever he says to you to do, do it. I think she's winking back at him. Because she is at a point 
she's all in, committed to his ministry, even though she doesn't really understand what that's going to look like. And so we know he goes on to turn the water into wine. Whatever he says to you, do it. How do the words and actions of Jesus, and maybe even the activity of God that you've experienced in your own life, how do they shape your level of commitment to him? What's that look like for you? And I maintain that really it is the best way to achieve peace. The best way is to commit your entire life, everything about it, to the work and activity of that baby in a manger who is your Savior. And that will bring peace, as you know. You know, I I can be sick, I can be well, I can be rich, I can be poor. Whatever the situation is, I can have peace. Let me show you again the words of Paul from 2 Timothy chapter 1. I believe that Paul experienced peace because of his commitment to Jesus. Paul writes this letter to his protege, his son in the Lord, Timothy, near his death. He knows he's about to die. For this reason, I also suffer these things. The reason there is the sharing of the gospel. He's in prison not because he committed a crime, but because he's sharing the gospel. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Can you say those words? I I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I think that kind of commitment comes out of both the words of Scripture but also the activity of God. Can I invite you to join into this? Young or old, engage. Commit. So I have three questions. Do you know the words and actions of Jesus? Let's let's get involved. Let's read. Let's know what Jesus says. Know what he's asking of us. Know what he's calling us to. Know what his actions, uh, how they backed up what he said. And then, of course, the rest of the New Testament as well. Know these things. Study them. Read them. Be convinced of them. And then the second thing, be involved in a community. Right? Are you in a community of people who can help you? You're not going to get this on your own. Your level of commitment is not going to be where God wants it to be if you're doing it by yourself. Involved with a we have Bible study groups, we have all kinds of things. And if you're like, hey, I'd like to start with something, but nothing, just get, let us know. We'll start a new group with you. We want you to grow in this commitment. And then lastly, and this is really important, though I don't really have much time for this one, is your commitment based on God's glory or your personal preference? See that see, that's where the peace comes. The the peace comes in when you recognize that that you have been bought with a price. If you've received Christ as your Savior, your agenda no longer really matters. It's God's agenda for your life. And so you can just go along and get peace and receive peace even when things are different than you want them to be. So I'd like to close with a prayer. It's a prayer of, um, of commitment. And um, if you want to, you can sort of pray this along with me. I'm not going to ask you to pray it out loud or anything like that. But this will be our last prayer, our closing time of prayer. 
And I, I want you to experience, and it won't be perfect, of course. Of course, please don't misunderstand. It won't be perfect. And we do waver and we do fail. But if you really want to experience peace in life, commit yourself to Christ and whatever it is that he has. We don't have a lot of information about Mary and Joseph. But I believe that Mary and Joseph, especially Mary, experienced an incredible amount of peace, even in the midst of a very difficult time because of the words and actions of Jesus. And I believe that promise is available to every one of us here today. So I'm going to read this. If you want to, you can read along with your, in your mind. Father, I commit to following the words of Jesus and your words as revealed in the Bible. I ask you to fill me with your peace as I walk each day in this commitment. Forgive me when I falter and uphold me with your strong hand. May the words and actions of Jesus that I read about, have heard or seen in others, and have experienced in my own life, move me to even greater commitment, which will lead to a deep sense of peace. Would you just bow your head and just sit quietly in your seat as the praise team comes up? And would you offer whatever way you can or will a prayer of commitment to him? Father, I think about the first Noel, the time when all of this began to really be unfolded. And I think about Mary and Joseph and how they really didn't have any, I don't think, much idea other than from the words what was about to unfold in their lives. And we know from the beginning of the Christmas story, it's awfully tumultuous and awfully difficult in the beginning. And yet they remain committed. Mary said, behold, I am your maidservant. And she kept that commitment. The same power and the same spirit that, that gave her that commitment is available to us today in our situation, in our circumstances. And I believe it will lead us to incredible peace. In Jesus' name, amen.